Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Until Saturday, the Athletics College Football Podcast. One of these days we're going to get you guys to officially... Uh, answer a poll of whether or not in our logo the kick is coming up short or it's going through the uprights, <laughs> whether it's a, a kick six moment or a uh, a made kick. But until then, subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. If it's an interesting comment or you got some questions, we might include it in a future mailbag podcast like this one with myself, David Ubbin, and Pete Sampson, who covers Notre Dame and does other stuff for us as well. We got a lot to get to today, Pete. Um, A lot has happened in college football. We're going to be talking a lot of realignment today, but also some actual football, maybe. Um, But you can also subscribe to us uh, on YouTube. So if you got a chance, do that uh, as well. Uh, Pete, let's get into this. I think we'll we'll kick us off with, I think, a big picture question. And I think this is something that with all the fireworks of the weekend, it sort of slid under the radar. And that is, what happens to the playoff? Does anything replace the Pac-12 as a P5 conference? And what does that mean for automatic bids? But when we look at the major conferences, uh, we have a question here from Brad. uh, Slash... Modeled pause. I don't know what that is. I hope it's a dog reference. (laughs) I don't know. But this question is pretty simple. Which conference will rise up to replace the Pac-12 as a Power 5 group and get an auto bid? Or why do you think that won't happen? Uh, I'll let you go first here, Pete. There won't be another conference to rise up. Because who's, I mean, who's calling the shots? It's the Big Ten. It's the SEC. It's Fox. It's ESPN. Are we, are we, Living in, in a world where the uh, American Athletic Conference or um, the WAC or the Mountain West is is going to drive TV dollars, like if if anything, in the last what seventy two hours, which it was just like a sobriety check that no football rules or television rules the football world. Television is not going to allow another automatic bid to come from an even lesser conference than the ones that are already out there. So no, there won't be one because the people that print the money don't want another one. And so there will be what the, the five automatic bids, there'll be a power four, which is really a power two and a somewhat power ish two, And then whoever is left over from that. So yeah, there won't be, I there do, won't be another one. First of all, I do like our friend's Twitter avatar. I feel like that's either uh, Maurice Claret. Or uh, maybe like a, <laughs> maybe like a uh, a cat Krenzel something. Along I, I those don't lines. know how they got that. I mean, the helmet on the cat is impressive because we know that that cat did not go willingly into that. Whether helmet. it's whether it's Photoshop or animal abuse, <laughs> it it's impressive either be. way. Yes, <laughs> one of those two. 
Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately there's a question to be said for for how the playoff is going to work now in the 12-team era because, you know, the Big Ten and the SEC are under no, uh, you know, demands to say, hey, whatever becomes of the Mountain West or the Pack or if, you know, whatever, whatever those four teams decide to do, whoever they pair up with may or may not have an auto bid and that can change the thing about college football is that the rules are constantly changing so maybe year one they stick around just because it's too complicated to fix in what do we have now literally like 12 months before you kind of have to have the rules in place and so i the short answer is there's not going to be one i mean that it's going to be four big conferences two conferences that really matter a giant big 12 that will be very fun and an acc which you're playing a giant what 14 legged race uh, where they want to <laughs> kill each other and Florida state is making all kinds of threats. And I think the first chance they can get to get into the sec or the big 10 will be interesting. And I think we've referenced this on the show, but for all the Florida state conversation, the chatter, when you talk to people, a lot more chatter around North Carolina than Florida state or Clemson. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, so the ACC and what becomes of that. I mean, it's a it's a Notre Dame topic for me in my world because, like, if mm-hmm. it, if the ACC falls apart, where does that leave Notre Dame? Um, you know, that's their arrangement with them has been somewhat tentative. They, I think, the ACC has hoped that Notre Dame could sort of be a white knight for that league. They're not going to ride in on anything ever for them. Um, mm-hmm. So at this point, if you're if you're Florida State or you're North Carolina or you're Clemson, like there, there's no reason to wait around um, other than the, what is it, like the, the private equity 120 million plus 300 million of, uh, you know, grant and aids. It just is, it's a lot, it's a lot of money, but man, it, uh, the noise that Florida State made last week uh, was, that was more topical in my world up here with Notre Dame mm-hmm. than, than even the, the Oregon and the Washington news. Well, that's worth moving on. Chris Avros, Stringfellow911, says, What becomes of Notre Dame's Olympic sports if football remains independent and the ACC experiences defections? Pete, you've touched on this in a recent mailbag. You guys can read it at The Athletic. But where, you know, what, what does Notre Dame do here? I mean, I, I still think they have pretty good options because it's okay. There's, there's one you could stick with, with the corpse of the ACC, whatever that is. Um, and say, you know what, instead of playing four or five games a year, we're going to pull back and maybe we'll just do two or three. So we'll help you a little bit, but we can't have a football schedule where the draw is Wake Forest, Boston College, Louisville, Georgia Tech, NC State. Like that, that can't be a football schedule for Notre Dame. Um, or, do you pull out of the ACC entirely, go back to like full independence, you know, where, where they were in 2013 and backwards, and then join the Big East in all your Olympic sports, which would look a lot like the Big East before, just a little bit more Midwest with, you know, Butler and Creighton, um, you know, DePaul and Marquette is there. I think the geography would be better, uh, and that would free up football scheduling. You know, when the playoff expands, I don't, I don't think that Notre Dame is going to feel as pressured to go undefeated every year to make it um i mm-hmm. think 10 and 2 will be good enough a lot of times 11 and 1 will always be good enough so 
I think that they will have some options before you get to the the nuclear option of joining the Big Ten entirely. I think that would not that it would be a last resort because it would be a very lucrative resort. But um, I think that you know sticking with ACC in some capacity. But then the the Big East, I think, if you can negotiate something with them uh, for all your Olympic sports, that would be that would be very workable as well. Sticking with that, I, I, it's worth continuing the Notre Dame conversation a little bit here. Uh, of sort of, you had another question from from Joe B, who I assume is Joe Burrow. Thanks for reading, Joe. Appreciate you getting the reading in during training camp. But he said, with the Big Ten adding Oregon and Washington, could this be the realignment round that finally puts Notre Dame in a conference? And how does Notre Dame take a now or never approach from the Big Ten? Pete, I'll tackle this and you tell me if I'm wrong. This is a very common question that I think has come up in this round of realignment, and I truly don't understand it. I don't think any of anything that's that's happened affects Notre Dame football in any real way. I I truly don't see it. If Notre Dame wants to do whatever they want to do tomorrow... They can do that, and that's probably not going to change. This is the luxury of having probably the biggest fan base in college football uh, and the biggest TV draw. You're the only school that has a real uh, TV deal that you can sort of live with. You know, I think May, you know, Texas, there's always that thing thrown around, but they've never actually done it. BYU did it by force for a while, but was after not long, was trying to beat their way into the first commerce they could get into and, and did that in the Big 12. I kind of don't think anything that's happened in the last five years has changed or affected anything that Notre Dame thinks about football independence. The other sports are a little more complicated, which you hit on. But am I wrong that if I'm Notre Dame, I'm looking at all the moves the last five years and combined with the expanded playoff, I'm kind of shrugging and calling up my buddies at NBC and saying, hey, guys, how's it going? Let's go play golf this week. Yeah, I think... Mostly correct. Uh, I I think that Notre Dame probably looks at the just insanity of the last week and says, "Wait a minute, you want us to voluntarily associate with you people? Like, are you are you crazy? Like, you're you're joking, right?" Um, so I think it makes independence more attractive from a you get to make your own decisions. But I I think what really has affected Notre Dame and its ability to be independent or not in the last you know, in this last cycle, it's it's the Big Ten TV deal and it's the SEC TV deal because if those two leagues pull away to such a point that NBC is uh, unwilling to match or cannot match um, get to get Notre Dame close to those leagues uh, from a revenue point of view, then then maybe the Big Ten looks all right. But you know, talking to people around Notre Dame if they can get within 10 to 15 million dollars of those leagues and that's you take NBC plus the revenue you get from the ACC if you combine those together and you're 10 to 15 million dollars short of the Big 10 or the SEC then Notre Dame is they're fine with that they'll they'll live with that they'll sort of pay that independent tax but um that if the SEC numbers and the Big 10 numbers get to a point where NBC is like you know what we're not we're not in this game anymore. Um, then I think Notre Dame could be in some trouble. But if NBC is willing to pay for the Big Ten, and that money is going to Northwestern and Iowa, you would think they would be willing to come up and have some more money go to Notre Dame, um, which is just a, a better property overall. Yeah, I, I think it. In general, there's a very interesting conversation to be had that we've already seen. 
in the last trying to think how far back to go. I I will just say five years that if you were under any, uh, you know, misgivings that there was any sense of loyalty in college sports when it comes to conference affiliation, that it's a little bit naive. And I think that as you sort of start continuing to claw around for money wherever you can find it, I mean, the, the, the contraction conversation, I think, got a lot more interesting after this after this weekend. Because you talk to different administrators in different places. And I've had a few conversations here and there over the last couple of years about, what do you think? You know, is that something? And nobody's really willing to, to really talk about it. But if you're an AD or a president at a Northwestern or at a Vanderbilt or at a Rutgers, how are you not nervous? How do you not know that, hey, at some point, like, if the Big Ten all of a sudden is... $12 million, $15 million, that gap is growing between the Big Ten and the SEC, and you're Vanderbilt. How do you know the Knives aren't going to turn on you and say, hey, if we just kick them out, we could split up their $60, $70 million share between all of us? Right. <laughs> like, I, I, that feels like a question of when, not if. Yeah, and it's like, for the Big Ten in particular, if you come to Notre Dame and be like, all right, we're going to, you know, Notre Dame can be viewed as a Chicago school, it can be viewed as a New York school, depending on how you want, you know, what where your geographical alignments are. Really, Notre Dame is rooted in both. So Notre Dame could get you both markets. And, mm-hmm. you know, in that world, if you're Northwestern, if you're Rutgers, like, what are you bringing to the table at, the, at that point? Because Notre Dame can probably replace both and then some. So, yeah, I would be I would be a little leery of that if I was a and also ran in some of these schools that maybe is just like not really a cultural fit. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think like IU or Purdue are in any trouble, but if you don't have any athletic history to speak of at all, then, you know, what, what are you bringing to the table when what you need to be bringing to the table is not just a, a win for Ohio state or Michigan or Penn state, you got to be bringing in, 65, 75, 85 million dollars of value. And I don't, certainly those schools are not doing that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We got Jonathan Conrad on Twitter who wants to know, David, where do you think my alma mater NC State will end up? And here's where I, here's where I sort of we'll, we'll, no disrespect to the question, but let's not really talk about NC State. I'm going to talk about the NC State adjacent types, right? NC State, uh, Texas Tech, um, you know those sort of schools, and most of the Big Twelve now. Um, the schools that like have done some things and care, but are not the blue bloods, um, but still have like good facilities and they can pack their stadium out when they're good and they can beat the really good schools and they'll win, you know, six to 10 games, you know, more years than not. I- I'm scared for them because 
as you look and you sort of mess with the crystal ball, right? My number one fear in the future of college football that I think, because this this version of college football that we have now, I don't like it. I'm still going to watch it. Uh, I'm still going to pay attention to it. My number one fear in the future is that we're going to go truly a full NFL model and that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to figure out, why are we playing anybody else again? And they just decide that you're going to play nine SEC teams and three Big Ten teams, and we're going to keep it all in the family, and everybody's going to you know, make hay. And the schools from the ACC that don't get into that big table and the Big 12 teams that get left behind, they don't even get to play those games anymore. That's my fear. That, I think, turns college football into something truly disgusting is too far, but truly, <laughs> like, depraved. Yeah. But truly, like, depraved of, like, I mean, what are we doing here? Like, you're taking out all of, like, basically, uh, Cinderella, we're going to take you out back and give you the old, the old yeller treatment, all right? <laughs> it's all blue bloods here. Like, that's my fear. And that is a future that I don't want for the NC states of the world, the Arizona states of the world, the Texas techs of the world, the Oklahoma states of the world. These proud programs that do have some tradition and do have facilities and in any normal view look like major college football, but at the top, ESPN and Fox look at them and they say, eh, no value. Get out of here. Get yeah, out of here. Michigan, come take a seat. It's gross. Uh, you know, and that's you know the scheduling collusion scenario that's how notre dame ends up having to join a conference against yes. as well um that to me that's like really the only way that it happens um other than nbc nbc saying like you know what we'd like to i know we've been together for 35 years but and you just hired our chairman of nbc sports to be your athletic director but like we're gonna part ways like that's not happening uh a world where these schools like i don't know what do we have two 20 team super conferences. Do you think we get to that and stop? That seems like re- however round we want to make the numbers, that seems like where we're looking. Yeah, 20, 22 teams. That's man, that that's a critical mass of the sport and the teams that are joining them, all due respect to Cal and Stanford maybe joining the ACC here for a hot minute. Like they're not the teams that are joining are are desired um you know, NC State is NC State desired? Is Texas Tech desired? I don't think so. Um, you know, mate, it's the blood sport to be the last team in, like the yeah. the, the last team on the lifeboat. Um, that's going to be. I mean, mate, Fox and ESPN could probably come up with a really good playoff just to be the last team in. Like, just have <laughs> Texas Tech and NC State play against each other and like. Uh, and ex- the existential bowl, uh, well, the winner what we're, survives, what we're the loser dies. A, we're talking about a, bra- a Bachelor spinoff show, of yeah. which I would truly watch. Um, as Oklahoma State accepts a rose and then eventually gets sent home crying in the limo. Uh, <laughs> after after they get to the hometowns. And uh, we can leave it up to people's imaginations what a fantasy suite week would look like uh, with these guys. But... Ultimately, the mascot possibilities are gross. (laughs) But ultimately, shout out to Otto the Orange, by the way. But ultimately, like, this is a world in which uh, I don't really want to live. I can't say that I wouldn't watch it, but as sad as this this weekend made me, that future 
would make me that would that would turn it to anger for me. I yeah, I would I would hate watch it. Um and I don't like I love college football. I don't I don't want to hate watch this sport. Um like this it's like one of our old colleagues used to say one of the beauties of this whole enterprise is that no one is in charge and that was true really until last week. Um because there is someone in charge. It's just the TV networks. Uh, and I think we, we've all come to accept that uh, in the last week or so. And it's just, it's just gross. I hate it. It's just, it's just disgusting. Um, but it's, it's the deal the sport has made with itself. And now, that, now, unfortunately, they have to live with it. Well, they've made their bed, and now they can lie in it, but it's got bed bugs. So with Out of the Orange. Rough. Yeah, with Out, with out of the Orange. Uh Chad Bradley, I think, is calling out. Uh, I, there was a, there was a. Before we get to the question, I did see this sort of school of thought as people were universally panning all of these moves, which is like, oh, this is groupthink. It's like, is it groupthink or is it just terrible? <laughs> so, Chad Bradley on Twitter asks, "Were you as upset when the WAC died? The Southwest Conference, the Big Eight? Big East football. Honestly, do you miss any of those four conferences? Aren't things better in almost every way now compared to when those four conferences exist? No, they're not. <laughs> Chad, I'm sorry. Uh, so recently, we did a realignment, uh, a realignment series where we wrote stories about realignment. And one of the things that I wrote was, everybody talks about this sucks, well, what is actually what what would it look like if we could do things the right way? And I think smaller conferences are better. And I re I I revived the Big East, and it's awesome. I put all the Florida schools in there, including the Gators. Uh, the one mistake I made, the one mistake I will give people, is I booted Iowa, or excuse me, I booted Illinois from the Big Ten and put them into the Big Eight. I should reverse that. Illinois should stay. Iowa should go into the former Big Eight. Join Iowa State. Anyway, go read the story. Uh, it's I think it's I forget what the headline was, but it's essentially if common sense replaced. Yeah, common sense conferences. Pretty much. Yeah, and, and that's so. Yeah, like because like, don't people enjoy winning things? Listen, you're about to I mean, get me on a soapbox because okay, <laughs> I I enraged my home state with two separate columns over a, a course of a year. Arkansas is like patient zero for this because they have traded on tradition and winning football to be members of the big bad SEC so they can chant SEC whenever they beat someone or watch someone beat someone. And they haven't won pretty much anything in 30 years. This program that had won a lot of conference titles, had won national championships, plural, had done really great things. They haven't experienced any of that since coming to the SEC. And the fans think that it's the best thing ever. And I'm like, you know, if you were in the Big 12, you would have a lot more fun. You could go to a lot more road games. You'd probably win more. And you'd get to recruit Texas and beat Texas teams. And people got very mad. And then the Big 12 broke up. Well, not broke up, but Texas and Oklahoma left like three weeks later. And people came at me and were like, nice call. And it's like, no, I, st I still believe that. I still think like, yes. That's great that you get to wear the SEC crest on your chest, but I think rivalries and winning should mean something, and I think that has been lost, and I think part of the sadness with the Pac-10 is all those leagues that you mentioned, and the Southwest Conference is a little bit a little bit different because the, the best leagues 
or the best teams in that league basically went to form the Big 12 and sort of a messy shotgun marriage. But West Coast football in the Pac-10 has been a century-long tradition. And because of geography, they've kind of been like the last sort of stronghold of like, this is West Coast football. We are all the major West Coast Conference football schools. And for that to cease to exist, we've lost a major conference on the West Coast. There is no West Coast like conference of schools. There is no identity in football that says, hey, we're the folks on the West Coast. And in a sport where regionalism helped build it into what it is today, to lose that, that's really where most of the sadness is from. Um, and, and it's it's hard to believe um, in, a, in a conference that has seen Heisman Trophy winners and dynasties and national championships and, uh, and all of these things just doesn't exist anymore. Sorry. Yeah, it's the winning part. Like, do you think Penn State would have more fun in, in the Big East than the Big Ten? They were in my Big East for the record. Yeah. My, I mean, my, my Big East was awesome. <laughs> yeah. How are, like, how are things going for Miami right now? Like, they were, um, UCLA is essentially going to turn into like an Instagram version of Purdue. Like, that's, they're not going to win anything ever again in football. So, like, is that worth it? I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't get my head around becoming a also ran voluntarily for the sake of money. Cause like, I, I gotta think, you know, I know, I realize Clemson is in that group with Florida state. They're like, uh, do we gotta, we gotta get out of here. Like, have you had a good time if you're a Clemson fan over the last 10 years? Just I think like, you've had come, a great time. No, let me know. Like, <laughs> is, is that been good? Has that been good for you? Um, Cause if you were in the SEC, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. Um, if you're in the big 10, it wouldn't be nearly as fun. So I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get the the rush to essentially kill your chances to win because what you can't control your budget or you need an extra ten million dollars. Like I get money. Like everyone has a budget, but I to me like no one. No one at the end of like has anyone stormed the field over a a budgetary surplus before? We might get there. Uh, yeah, we were, I mean, we that's were doing like, a we're, podcast earlier this week about. Uh, you know this the realignment and, and all of the things that that uh, you know happened over the weekend and that discussion and and we kind of hit on. I'm very curious when the tipping point when people started keeping score of conference payouts started. I think it was 2008 nine ish. Uh, one of the things that I wonder about, and I maybe this is. Um, I don't know what to think about this, but it's something that I have thought about in recent years is, you know, I was at ESPN in like 2010 and we started these conference blogs, these network conference blogs. And there was a level of tribalism that really developed in all of those sort of worlds. I did the Big 12, you know, Chris Lowe and uh, our, our the late Ed Ashoff were doing a lot of the SEC. They don't exist anymore. I have to part of me wonders if you if we contributed to that in some way, because it was around that time that like we started seeing, well, actually, the Big Ten's better than the SEC because we make more money, even though you guys are holding up all those trophies. We don't really care about that. And like when I was a kid and maybe you could speak to this. Do you even remember hearing about or knowing about how much money any conference made? And now. Not only does it drive everything, most fans seem to know exactly where they stand in the pecking order. And it's weird 
because as I've said and written many, many times in the last five to 10 years, the fans don't see that money. It doesn't affect you <laughs> at all. It affects well, administrators and you can get a new water slide and recording studio and barbershop in the facility. But like, it doesn't affect you. That's so Arkansas's you win. About it? Yes. Because it's the, it's the only win that these schools can have. Um, like, I don't think Alabama or Georgia give a crap about what money comes in, whether it's a hundred million, ninety million, eighty million. Like, it does not matter. They're they're trying to win games, uh, and they they do a damn good job of it. Congratulations Arkansas, on the new suites, guys! Everyone, yeah, Arkansas everyone. is just like, well, uh, we're gonna hold this over Texas and Oklahoma until they show up here. Um, this is a this is how we beat them by media rights revenues, like it. It's just boring and soulless, and I, I feel like we're getting we're also getting to the point where, I mean, I, I realize TV ratings were always sort of like mildly interesting, mm-hmm. but like that's that's like the new final score of the game. Yes. Like you're, you're, you're going to go cover Red River, and I'll be like, David, how was uh, how was Red River? And you, you'll be like, ten point two million people watched it. And I'm like, but who won? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. It's ten point two million people watched it. Like as if that's like. That's the new box score. Like we'll find out next June how it's just soulless. Um, So yeah, that is that adds to all the depressing parts of this new era of college football, where it's it's dominated by balance sheets and television ratings and television executives that just sort of see the sport as like a revenue. I mean, I feel like college football has sort of been taken over by venture capital in some ways, and that's it. Just it just feels gross. It's content, and part of it, I wonder, if DVR and TiVo are never invented, and if live sports don't become the most valuable live broadcast property, if you could still, like, fart out another season of Friends or whatever, and you could make a ton of money off of, like, network sitcoms, and that was a thing, are we in a better place? I kind of feel like probably... But for as much money as they put in the live rights, I think TV networks see, well, this is the last place we have to really make a lot of money. Yeah. And it, well, it's just, I think there's a cultural element there too, where like everything is national now. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no, there's no sort of like this local thing that ties people together as strongly as it used to. Like I grew up in Michigan and, you know, Michigan, Michigan state was, that was the thing all year. Like I didn't, I didn't watch the Iron Bowl or care how many people tuned into that or, you know, it's like the the Big Ten went out to, you know, the Rose Bowl was, that was it. Like, that was your national championship. If you made it to the Rose Bowl, that was as good as it got. And if you, like, the national championship was sort of like this extra thing that nobody really understood because people were voting on it in hotel ballrooms. Like, it. Now I just think every that's the only thing that matters and the sport is so national that it's lost that sort of regional uniqueness which is the you know one of the main reasons why it's so different from the NFL in the first place like you watch an NFL game you're just you're cheering for a corporation like college never felt that way and it feels a lot more like that today than it did last week or last year or 2 years ago Fantastic I feel like a ray of sunshine right now <laughs> <laughs> Justin Becker asks uh, another realignment question here. Is it important for teams switching conferences to do well in their final season before switching? Is it more important for the remaining teams to do well against these leaving teams? 
I, so I've I covered the Big 12 for a long time. I've seen a lot of these moves. I've been in a lot of these games. It's complicated, and it depends on the circumstances. I Before all this happened, I think USC was in for a rough ride in the last year. And I think Texas and Oklahoma are in for a rough ride uh, in the Big 12 every time they go on the road. With the Pac-10 or Pac-12, whatever you want to call it, Basically dissolving, I think that takes some heat off of USC. Where I don't think that is, I think people are mad at USC, but I don't. It wouldn't be nearly as intense as it was. So in that sense, I think you know people always want to send them out uh, with a loss. I mean, the Big Twelve in the last year that Nebraska was in the league, and the last year that Texas A and M was in the league, it was pretty heated, man. There were some absolutely classic games and. Some big time crowds, and uh, I forget. Uh, I believe it was Nebraska playing in the Big Twelve Championship the last year uh, that they were in the league. I, it might have been Nebraska. I might be forgetting, uh, but either way, um, it, it it got really really heated. So I think that matters as far as <laughs> your final season. I don't think it really matters. I, I think the thing that matters is your first season. I think you can make a first impression on on a league's fans. It, what think, matters is your media rights payout, David. Like we've, yes, we've exactly. established this. Exactly. I think you know. I I, I think uh, Texas A and M with the Johnny Football Bonanza really really affected their view from the rest of the league. That like you know the we we talked about this in the Johnny Football Doc Pod. There was a perception that A and M couldn't compete, and they literally did away with that pretty much overnight because they showed that they could compete. Missouri. For as many jokes as people get off about Missouri and the SEC, they did win the East, and albeit a down East, they did win the East twice. Uh, I believe in what two of their first three years. I forget what the what the timeline was, but uh, you know Gary Pinkle got them going and and uh, won the East a couple times. So I think that can help you. I, I think it's way more important what you do when you first get there rather than what you do on the way out. But I do think that if you leave and it's and the rest of the league is mad at you, which I think Texas and OU are the only schools that are really going to catch that. It's it's tough. It's tough on the way out. I think that there will be some spiteful moments uh, for Texas and Oklahoma this season. That and <laughs> I will enjoy watching all of them. Um, I think Texas plays at Baylor. That I mean, those those kinds of games I think will be fascinating to sort of see. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you. The, the Pac-12 is just like. It's a heap of sadness. Like, I, I, I don't think anyone, like, the spite factor with the Pac 12, I just don't think is going to be there um, the way it will be with Texas and Oklahoma. But I think even that is, it's a, I was looking at Texas' schedule today and I was confused why they were playing two non conference games in October against Houston and BYU. And then I remembered, <laughs> oh, wait, those are actually conference games. Yes. So, like, uh, it's like, I don't think Houston is going to care that they're leaving or no. BYU is going to care because they were like, we really appreciate it because that's why we're here in the first place. So it uh, even that is a little bit convoluted. So it's like the, you know, it's I, I think when when A and M left that that last Texas Texas A and M game, like that was a spite bowl, and like that's a great part of college football. Uh, I'm not sure if anything is going to rise quite to that level. Maybe Bedlam, right? Like that would be one that could get a little bit salty, a little bit saucy. Um, mm-hmm. That may be more of like a must-see television programming than it would be otherwise. I covered the last Texas-Texas A&M game, one of the five most memorable nights of work that I have had. 
Uh, and it was on a Thanksgiving, and I didn't even mind. But I was a little bit younger then. And most importantly, I don't believe I was married when that game was was happening. No, I wasn't. So uh, me having to work on Thanksgiving night, hey, you know, I'll be I'll be I'll be back through to the next day. <laughs> now that would play a little differently at home. Uh, but I do think it's it's the one thing I think with that question before we move on is there is a new America's team, and they are powered by the turnover chainsaw, and they are the Oregon State Beavers. Folks, if Oregon State can get hot, you are going to see people back in the beeves as hard as you have ever seen a, a nation get behind a team. And, oh man, if you haven't seen the turnover chainsaw, you need to. Because in general... College sports needs more power tools on the sidelines, whether they be celebratory, uh, utility, whatever. More power tools on the sidelines can only enhance uh, the sport. So that's that's going to be my campaign uh, for the next year. We have another question from Michael D in the comments. Uh, you know, asking about you know kicking out cellar dwellers like Vandy and Rutgers. Couldn't the football-interested schools just make their own league, let the underlying school remain Big Ten academically and with other sports? It seems pretty easy to envision how a football team could be kicked out. So I think what we're talking about here is the, the idea that I think should happen, but logistically is a nightmare, and that is a football break-off. Because I think most everyone in the, in the entirety of college sports would love to get to that point where, okay, we're going to do this insanity with football because travel, quite frankly, is not that big of a deal in football. Just games are on Saturdays. Uh, you only have 12 of them a year, and that's, what, four at most, five, six road games, probably closer to five. Uh, you have a couple cross-country trips, but you're leaving on a Friday you know, afternoon if you need to. It's not that big of a deal. But for everyone else, it's a nightmare. So if you want to do this insane bi-coastal Big Ten thing. For football, it's stupid, but logistically is not that, like, big of a deal. But getting there, I think people would love to get there and go back to regional conferences with the non-revenue sports and, and maybe even basketball. I think basketball is really a complicated conversation. We got to have our basketball people in here to discuss the logistics there. But I, especially now, I'm not even sure how you'd get there. I mean, yeah, very complicated, but not impossible. I mean, Notre Dame is independent in football, all ACC in Olympic sports, but Big Ten in hockey. Um, I mean, you've like Connecticut's situation, they're in the Big East, but football is just sort of adrift. It's not like it can be done. Um, it should be done because like football, football should drive decisions, but there's no reason it should drive decisions for track and field um, yes, or for men's or women's soccer. That makes, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, and I th look, if, if the conferences wanted to extend an olive branch to the, the student athletes and say, actually, we are thinking of your welfare, like this would actually, this would be a pretty straightforward way to do it. Um, because what like what they're going to ask these other sports to do really is unconscionable, uh, especially if you're trying to get some kind of like NIL stuff passed in Congress. Um, I mean, the college sports and the people who run it are the villains in the story. And 
that there are they're not going to be able to undo all the damage that has been done but this while it's not uncomplicated the fact that you you could certainly have a pac 12 style every other sport conference um rutgers could be with seton hall in the big east and basketball um that's it seems doable. You just need some imagination. You need people to work together in good faith, which is the sport of like, yeah, yeah that's, I'm just sort of talking myself out of the whole discussion right now. Yeah. I think in general, well, first of all, uh, I was told actually that they had the student athletes best interest at, at heart with all this. Oh. Uh, and that everything they do in athletic direct, athletic department, they think of the athletes first, so I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I, to me, who among us in college has not taken a cross country flight on a Wednesday and gone to school the next day after a heated athletic competition? That's just part of the college experience, is it not? I, 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 I've, I'm lost of why people are up in arms about this. Everyone does that, do they not? I, I don't know. You know it. Uh... I don't want to tune off our listeners, but I went to DePaul <laughs> University, Division Three, and while I was there, we were in the Southern Collegiate Athletic Conference. With we were in Indiana, and there were teams in Georgia, Texas, Mississippi, Kentucky, Tennessee. Uh, it made absolutely no sense, and it all fell apart within years. Like it, I think it lasted maybe four or five years, and then people were like, "Wait a minute." This doesn't make any sense, and that it's not going to make any more sense for Division One track and field or Division One baseball than it uh, than it did for Division Three everything. So it it that people have tried this before. It's been a disaster. Um, I mean, what what would have what was it? The Big East had TCU for like a hot minute. Like when, I forgot about that. Yes, for about uh, it was less than a year uh, okay. before. Before they got the bullpen tap up to the uh, to the Big Twelve, so yeah, so it's Man, like people have tried this. That. It's not a good <laughs> idea. Like there, there's there's enough case studies out there that this will be a disaster. Uh, I don't know why we need to keep sticking our head into the fan on it. Pete, I feel like we need to go down a brief DePaul rabbit hole because <laughs> I have a question for you. I am aware of something called the Oven Lecture Series at DePaul Ooh, University. Yes, Kit. One, have you heard of this? Two. What is the deal? And three, when will I be asked to participate? Uh, I have heard of this. I've attended some. Um, I think when I was a student, Bill Bradley came, a uh, former college athlete at Princeton and basketball player. But um, I don't think that uh, your last name has anything to do with it. So, it, uh, Well, we were going to name might- the podcast Oven Lecture Series, but I got vetoed <laughs> on it. So. I like that really would have resonated with me and probably a couple hundred subscribers. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but yeah, I did. I did attend some Oven Lecture Series. I think that uh, maybe Brad Stevens was a recent speaker in the Oven Lecture Series since he's a, a also a DePaul alumnus. So yeah, it, I have uh, a lot of questions. So we need mm-hmm. to. Uh, I need to work the back channels, Pete. I need to, I need yeah. to be 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 given a spot here. Uh, let's talk about some actual football, kind of. Pete, I'm going to tee up for a Notre Dame question here. I actually am curious about this as well. Um, well, the start of fall camp perpetually brings unbridled optimism. Everyone's undefeated, of course. 
Do you think everyone is overhyping the potential of the Notre Dame offense? Yes, Sam Hartman is a massive upgrade at the most important position. The line and running backs are talented and deep, but receiver lacks a true number one target. A dominant offense needs great receivers, and Notre Dame seems to be severely lacking compared to the other CFP contenders. Pete, I'll put you on the spot. Yards per play, what does Notre Dame need to rank to finish in the top 10, and what do you think they will rank? Well, I mean, when it comes to Sam Hartman, Notre Dame's been in camp for about a week and a half. From everything I can gather, I don't think we're overhyping him. Um, he is, you know, maybe junior year Jimmy Clausen or going back to Brady Quinn before that. I think he'll be their best quarterback since then. Mm-hmm. Yards per play, I don't. They are they are not dynamic at receiver. Um, they have a whole ton of question marks. They're hoping that there are a couple freshmen. Jaden Greyhouse from Austin, Texas, and then uh, Rico Flores from Northern California. They're hoping that they can, you know, be guys. But it's been a minute since Notre Dame's had, like, a dude at receiver as a true freshman. So I think banking on that is a mistake. But I think Notre Dame, yep, six, you know, 6.5 yards per play would put them at the back of the top 25 last year. Mm-hmm. That would that would be a good finish. I to me, like, if anyone listening to this podcast watched Notre Dame, Ohio State last year, which was watched by more than 10 million people, again, like that, who knows what the final score was, but 10 million people <laughs> watched it. Um, you saw Notre Dame sort of concede offensively before the game started because they knew they they just weren't going to be able to keep up. Um, that's not going to happen this year. When, when Notre Dame plays Ohio State, at the end of September, when they go to Clemson at the beginning of November, when USC comes here, like they're not going to play sort of like a four corners offense. Um, they're going to go out and I think chuck it around with Sam Hartman. So I, I think that as a from a fan point of view, Notre Dame's I don't know how many more games they'll win than last year. I think that they'll win at least one or maybe two more, but they're going to be a much better product to watch because of Sam Hartman. And I think that's like I don't think that I'll come back on the show when the season starts, but if Drew Pine is balling at Arizona state and Tyler Buckner wins the job at Alabama, I will say (laughs) I am, I am wrong. I do not know what I was talking about. Um, that the problem was the coaching and the, the scheme and all that stuff at Notre Dame last year. But I have a very strong suspicion that by the end of September, Alabama starting quarterback is probably not going to be Tyler Buckner. I don't know what's going to happen with Drew Pine at Arizona State, and I think Sam Hartman, people are going to be like, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Um, and it just did not look like that at all last year. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame sort of conceded that point before games started against other teams with high-powered offense. Yeah, by the way, Pete, are Georgia fans invading your living room mad we haven't talked about them on this pod <laughs> <Yes>. yet? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a sensitive topic around here because it's like, <laughs> Uh, I don't know the Georgia game. If you remember aerial shots of that, it would look like a bowl game. Yeah, uh, people are not happy about that and already on edge about Ohio State doing the same thing. Um, that's a, a future story on the Athletic about how Notre Dame is trying to keep the red out of its own stadium. It is. I'm very curious. So I took some paternity leave this year, so I didn't get out as much as I would have liked. But I did go out to Arizona State for a few days. Saw a practice or two of theirs. I liked what I saw from Drew Pine. What what was how do Notre Dame fans sort of view him and his exit? Because I don't know that he's going to be like a thirty five hundred yard guy, thirty touchdowns this year. 
But I think he can win some games at Arizona State. I think he's going to have that job. I think he's going to do very, very well out there. But but what's the perception of him on the way out? You know, I think it was a it was kind of a good Notre Dame, like kind of a feel good try hard story. But then the ending sucked because he opted out of the bowl game when he was the starting quarterback to go in the transfer portal, which like some guys opt out of bowl games because they're going to the NFL draft and some guys hit the transfer portal because they weren't playing. I don't think there's a lot of like hitting the transfer portal because I got to find my next job because I'm not going to win this one. Yeah. And I'm just going to walk out on the team like that really soured people on the whole story. Um, I think he got a lot out of his ability, but. I mean, he's he's five ten with like a, a average arm at best. Um, it's just there's there's he's not very toolsy, and there were moments there, like especially the beginning of the year when he came in after Tyler Buckner got hurt. Like I I tracked like depth of targeted pass in the Cal mm-hmm. game, which is first start, and I think it was less than one yard. Like they, he could not throw the ball down the field. They wouldn't let him throw the ball down the field, and the passes he was throwing were like into like he was hitting guys in the ankle. So he got it together, um, but it was they. It felt like they won games in spite of their quarterback last year instead of because of him. Um, I mean, it's like you look back at the Clemson game, like oh Notre Dame was great. They won thirty five fourteen. They like blew him off the field. It Drew Pine, I. I think completed single digit passes in that game like they they had a punt block and they relied on Clemson to implode offensively that was Notre Dame's big moment the quarterback had very little to do with it so it's that's why it's like Notre Dame has not won games because of their quarterback in a while and I think that's that's what Sam Hartman's gonna do I will say if Kenny Dillingham can revive Mr. Bo Nix I like his odds of doing some zoots up with Drew Pine. I like what I saw from him in the spring. We'll see. It's early. It's early. Yeah, they play USC like pretty early in the year. I think I'm yeah. very interested to sort of see how that one shakes out. Well, if USC plays tackle optional again, uh, they may have some problems. Uh, we'll close with this. Joe wants to know, NIL for high school seniors. I want to know what happens when a five-star recruit <clears throat> excuse me, goes to school A for a fat two to three million four-year NIL deal but maybe the school goes seven and five or their coach gets fired. If the same recruit portals to school B, isn't the old collective on the hook for the previous NIL deal? Complicated question, Joe. I'll tackle it in a couple ways. One, the big seven-digit deals, the exception more than the rule. Uh, for recruits, we know of one. I don't know of any others. I've heard, but there's there's not a lot out there. So let's start there. That there's not a ton of guys who haven't played a college snap making seven figures. There are at least one that we know of, but there's not a lot. The answer to the rest of your question is much more complicated because <clears throat> it depends on the contract. Getting the contracts is very, very difficult. These are all private entities. Um the school, the player. They're not subject to FOIAs. Um, this is why we can get coaching contracts very, very quickly, except for you, Pete. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but mo- <laughs> most of us can get coaching contracts because you go to public universities, and unless you're coaching at Vandy or Northwestern or Duke or whatever, Baylor, 
it's very easy to get your contract um, very quickly. Like a lot of times, like the day that they sign the memorandum of understanding, we can get the terms of the deal. NIL is a lot more difficult. Uh, so what is happening generally is that there are deliverables in these contracts and they are worded as such that the player must do these, a lot of these deliverables in person in Gainesville, Florida, or in Eugene, Oregon, or in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, because it is not explicitly contingent on them being a player for the local university team, because that would be illegal, and that would be inducement, Pete. But if you can't complete the deliverable, because perchance you maybe decide to play at another local school's university for whatever reason, most schools are willing, or most collectives are just going to tear up that contract and say that is what it is. Now, what you might have in the future, and I'm doing a story about the NIL marketplace, you might have some buybacks that basically say, that essentially handcuff you from, you can't transfer after one year because you'd have to pay back a bunch of the money that you get. And then if you sign that contract, you sign that contract. You have to word it in a way where it's not sort of an inducement and if you have a lot of leverage, you can probably get yourself out of that, but that might be coming in. I've heard from a lot of people in the collective space that trying to figure out how to word these deals that precludes you from transferring, it will be a real thing. But if the school, but if you sign a deal and the coach gets fired and whatever and you stay, you're not going to see a lot of collectives just like saying we're not paying you anymore because we don't think you you know you're good. Cuz then you have a disgruntled person and then you can say, well, this is pay for play. It's very easy to, 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 to sort of play it like that. And also, if you're a collective, you have to manage your relationships on the team. And if you just decide, well, you're not getting results, you don't get the money anymore, well, that's going to be a problem for you <laughs> with the coaching staff, with the roster, with trust, with all that. So this is not a scenario that I think will happen. What do you make of the current landscape and, and this question? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the, the Jaden Rashada situation in Florida, like, once that happens to you around Florida, like you don't come back from that from a reputational standpoint, if you're the collective, um, I am, but like the, the regionality of the deliverables, like hypothetically, let's just say you were a five-star quarterback who's a freshman at UCLA mm -hmm. and you're disgruntled because you maybe are not going to win the job. Could you go to USC? Like, is that local enough that you could still meet those deliverables and it wouldn't be that's that big of a deal. That's an even more complicated question. Yeah. Cause I think if yeah. you're a collective at one of those schools where there is another state, you in your town, which is rare, but you'd have to figure out how to word it in a way that it made sense. A lot of it though, is like you'd have to appear at these event series. And if you transfer, it's going to be uncomfortable for you. Like even if you went, you know, if Rashad had trans had figured out, Hey, I'm going to keep this money. I'm going to go to Florida State, and I'm still going to make it to Gainesville for all these events. Yeah, the Booster Club of Florida. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're not going to be super thrilled to see you there. And, like, I think there is a wink-wink between collectives and athletes that just says, like, hey, like, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a limitation here, you know, like, that, that we're not going to do that, per se. But I, we're so young, and it's so new, that we haven't seen a lot of these contracts or transfers, or we haven't seen it pushed on or tested very much. And I'll be I'll be very curious to see if we reach that point sometime soon. Yeah, because I mean Notre Dame's collective, the way that they've handled things so far has been much more sort of like team based, where 
every player is making the same for kind of like the community service charity aspect of it, you know, kind of, they, the, they, they hate more, winning. That's what you're saying. Pete. Yeah. More of the, the philanthropic <laughs> where the backup middle linebacker makes up the same as a starting quarterback. And you're like, well, that's not sustainable, but sounds that, like a conference. Yeah. It just is not, um, you know, and I guess with collectives, I guess that's, that's fine. It's the more like pure, like for profit stuff that, fascinates me and like you know aspire with you know you written about extensively with tennessee like that's Mm -hmm. i think there's a there's certainly a place for that but i i can't wait to see where we are two years from now like are they out of money did they turn a profit off this like did did winning feel so good that it was worth like taking out a second mortgage to make it happen uh i don't i don't know i don't know the answers to that but it's like the i don't think the the market is going to ever be normal or rational, but it's going to be more rational or more normal than it was. Yeah. Like I, like I, like Notre Dame had a player who was transferring <laughs> or thinking about transferring ultimately did later. And there's NIL conversations and like talking to people around here, they're just like, well, how much is player X worth? We don't know. We have no idea. Like how, I'm how much that is that exact story? Yeah. Pete. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> how, like how much, like how do we value that position? Like is, uh, you know, is a quarterback worth 10 times more than a running back? Like in the NFL, um, what about an edge rusher versus safety? I I have no idea. Um, you know, I, I, but I don't think these schools have any clue either. They're just, you know, you hear these numbers on these contracts and like, I'm, I'm with you. They're like, they're, I'm assuming that they're all junk. Um, but, you know, six figures for, top recruits like that that seems reasonable to me um Mm -hmm. you know if you're a five-star edge rusher i think you got you go into your recruitment thinking that you're gonna you're gonna find a a six-figure nil deal somewhere for you and that's surely i think that's certainly in bounds but uh how they word it so it's regional (laughs) and you can't transfer like i i don't know it's like if if the player transfers he's probably not performing so if you're the collective aren't you just like, okay, you're off our books. Like I, I would think ultimately that'd probably be a positive. Well, I actually think it won't be a big deal because if you're making $85,000 at X school and you can't get on the field, why would you transfer? It's actually right. a motivation to stick it out because if you're a former four-star recruit and you haven't done anything and you're you know a third-year sophomore and you're still making $85,000 a year, you're not making that if you transfer down to the MAC or you transfer down to the Sun Belt yeah. or whatever. So you either give up that money and play on the field or you keep sticking it out at your school. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't, but you've got, you know, money at the end of it. And I do think, well, two things. One, uh, there's this idea that the money will dry up because, well, this recruit didn't work out. Uh, well, Hey, here's the thing. He may not work out, but it's very easy to convince boosters with this next guy. You got to see this next guy. And it's then the entire he, premise of recruiting. Yes. And then if you say, well, he didn't work out, and it's like, okay, maybe he didn't work out, but if we fire the coach, the next recruits, yeah. those guys You'll are gonna see. work out. Yeah. And I think the schools that play ball with their foundations and are not sort of <laughs> have an idea that a rising tide lifts all boats and don't freak out if a major donor says, Hey, instead of giving you my six-digit, seven-digit donation to the foundation, I'm going to give it to the collective. The schools that figure out that that's probably a good thing and you might make that back up, 
I think those are the ones that are going to do well in the next uh, iteration of college football in the NIL sphere, you know, as long as collectives are, are doing this in recruiting. And not all of them are, but a lot of them are. Uh, and uh, I think that story will be very interesting. We'll, we'll get yeah. it. We, we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah, because so. it's like I'm with you. It's like I think there's a two-track system that can work here. There's the mm-hmm. everybody gets something, but if you're a dude, you get something times eight, something times 10. Um, Cause I, I think these schools, you've got to the three, even the three-star recruit, you gotta be like, all right, you've, we've got a, a $25,000 mm-hmm. a year, you know, charitable work type of collective going like, there's a space for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that makes the system work. But if you're a five-star quarterback, like, yeah, that's $25,000 a year is probably not going to cut it. Um, no. and you, you, you got to have some flexibility to scale up when you, when you get to that situation. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been our, uh, mailbag podcast with Pete Sampson and David. Oven. we have, uh, talked a lot of realignment, talked some Notre Dame, talked a little bit of on field kind of, but there's a lot of stuff happening, Pete. So thank you guys for listening, for tuning in. If you're not already subscribed to us on Apple or Spotify, or wherever you want your podcast, you should do that because you can get this delivered directly to your device immediately. And subscribe to us on YouTube as well. You can watch uh, all kinds of videos and reels and shorts and all that stuff uh, from these podcasts. And of course, subscribe to The Athletic. But leave us a review, leave us a rating on those podcast services. It always helps. And be nice. And a five-star rating is always appreciated. Once again, for Pete Sampson, I'm David Oven. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next time.